0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the Daily Wink. You're going to want to go there. You'll see. You can sign up. You'll get a daily email from me, what you need to know. I hope you'll do it, Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. we got another great show and uh, so much happening, so much happening. i got to tell you, if you pay attention to the media, if you're watching the fake news, in fact, if you're watching any news, You're not paying attention to what's actually happening in the country. I mean, you are... You're seeing wall-to-wall coverage of, you know, idiots trying to tear down the Andrew Jackson uh, monument, the statue in Lafayette Square and being stopped, and then an ongoing discussion. You're you're seeing people talk about what Donald Trump, whether he drank water correctly. Is that a big deal? But here's what you need to know. I'm going to cut right to it. I mean, we talked about China yesterday, and I I remind some of you, I'm doing my webinar, weekly one-hour online webinar. If you go to com, you can find out more about it. It starts tomorrow. Wednesday and it's entitled the problem of Communist China and our Second Cold War And so I've been talking about China with you I know you get, maybe you get sick of it but China's a big deal but here's what you need to know today the difference between this president and his what his policies are and Joe Biden or the establishment Republicans but all of the ca- all of the swamp is against Donald Trump on this stuff. And that is this yesterday afternoon, late afternoon, the president signed an executive order and he continued the suspension of immigration visas for guest workers and the guest worker programs, the H1B visas, the H2B visas. And he this was always his promise that he was going to have he wasn't anti-immigrant. He was for a set of policies that put Americans first. And one of the great abuses, and we'll talk in a few minutes, by the way. You're going to want to tune into this. I'm going to have John Schlafly on the show. John Schlafly is uh, really well read on this uh, question and on the issue. But it was always the Donald Trump campaign in 2016. It certainly was about build the wall. That's true. And we know that. And the president's going to go to Arizona to celebrate all, You know how much wall's been built. It's not been enough. He's had to fight tooth and nail to get every, every inch of that wall. And he's been fighting half the time against Republicans. You know, when he had Paul Ryan as speaker and Mitch McConnell was president of the Senate and he had a chance to do whatever he wanted, Paul Ryan said, let's do taxes first and I'll I'll get the wall. Never got the wall. So he's had to fight for every nickel and every inch, but he's doing it. But the other part of his policies, Donald Trump's, was he was saying, hey, wait a second. There's Americans who can do the jobs, and a lot of times there's people who are not just looking for workers to do skills that we don't have, but instead there's big companies, tech companies, big, uh, big, um, uh, big grocery companies or, or, or ag companies, that instead of looking for people who have a skill that we don't have in America, they're looking to get someone from another part of the world who will do it cheaper. And there's a whole set of people. It's not me making it up. This is not me having an argument. There's factual coverage of of the fact that there are lots of visas and these these special visas that are used by especially the tech companies to bring people in to do jobs that others in American citizens could do. But you would have to pay them better. And when you get these citizens, these foreign nationals, Indians, whoever, Pakistanis, whoever, Chinese, whoever, they come and they do these things, usually engineering. The type of visa they're on, if you mess up and get fired, you get sent home. So now you've got a kind of indentured servant. And don't get me wrong, they're not paid no money. But the studies show they're they're paid about 30 percent less than if you paid an American worker. Now, the reason the president has always been for limitations on immigration until we have a rational policy, not a policy dictated by the Chamber of Commerce, not a policy dictated by Facebook, but a rational policy Policy makers in our we the people government decide who we need and how we need them and not to the detriment of we the people. So Trump's always been for that. Now, he's gotten rolled in around. He's gotten advisors. You know, he had Gary Cohn, who's a Democrat from New York in the White House. And he's got sometimes he's got some of these people, Mnuchin, I'm not sure is quite as conservative as I would be. And they're getting pressured by all the different groups, Wall Street and others that want more profits and pay less salaries, all that. But the president's instincts have always been directionally right, and then we get this um, this Wuhan virus, the Chinese virus, that hits us and knocks us sideways. Well, the president's uh, executive order, June twenty second, yesterday, it basically said, look, especially in a time period when we are dealing with unemployment that's gone boom because of this uh, the the pause, the great pause, we're going to hold on immigration. And he started that on April 22nd, and he had to renew that. That's what this is a renewal of, and this is going to go all the way through the end of the year. And and my point here is, you're talking about the the uh, visas, these special types of visas that have been frankly abused by our system, and it's it's a huge it's a huge success that we have a president who's willing to do this. And immediately he's getting attacked by the Democrats who want. Un you know, limited immigration on demand, let everybody in, and then he's getting attacked by the moderate Republicans, the country Club Republicans, the Wall Street Republicans, and the media. That's how you know you're really on the right track so it's a huge deal and what you need to know is this is the central fight I've told you before in some ways there's all these other peripheral fights you know we needed a president who cared more about making our military superior and not being a social services a social experiment It's a, it, he's done that we have a president who doesn't want foreign wars and his instinct is to be more about holding back instead of trying to be you know being overly involved all these things he's done we have a president who is cutting regulations all these things but at the Part of what's happening in America is: Are we going to put Americans and American jobs first in the practical ways that can change the life of this country? Because if you're graduating from the, the University of Missouri at Rolla, also called uh, I think it's uh, Missouri uh, University of Science and Technology, uh, and and you know you have an, you have an opportunity to go work, you should be able to get the best jobs at the best pay, and you should be in a strong position. You shouldn't be chasing an indian you know nothing wrong with indians they're very talented by the way lots of companies built by indians i'm not saying i'm anti indian immigrant what i am is anti using these visas because big tech wants to make their money and make their uh, make their uh, profits i'm for Having a system where you, when you say uh, rationally, okay, we've got American workers employed, we've got a system that's robust, what is it you need? What skills are not available here that could be available if we had that, this robust, uh, a, a robust consideration? My own instinct, and I'll argue for it, is that we should do less a lot less. My instinct is we should permanently do a lot less, that we should not try to have all these different immigration policies that are so because they get abused, they get game, they get worked, they get pushed, they get pulled. And I think it's a bad idea. So I'm just the, the the reality is I think you should that we should tighten up. But in general, at least the president is in the right direction and it's going the right way and he has the courage to do it. I gotta say, I mean, you know, I was watching and you can watch on uh, social media, watch people like, um, uh, the, uh, like the, the great Ann Coulter and she's mad always about the president hasn't done enough. And you're seeing some of that. When you see this, this is, this is the stuff that we wanted this president elected for. This is the, this is the stuff that makes you say, yep, he's on our side. We, we believe it. You know, we see it. We feel it. It makes a huge difference. Now, let me finish this, uh, segment. What you need to know. That's what you need to know. Let me tell you one thing you need to do, and this is a little bit at the end of this segment, just a minute or two. I'm working a poll all day here in Virginia today, all day into the evening, working a poll. I'm out there. It's a Republican primary only. And I'm mostly doing, you know, what I'm mostly doing is talking to people as they go vote, because most people have already figured out, uh, you know, where they're at. I mean, it's a Republican only. But I'm going in there and I'm saying, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about? What? And trying to get a bead on what's going on. And you know what people need most of all? You and I've talked about this over and over again. They need to be encouraged. They need to be encouraged right now. We're going to find some ways to make these things right. We're going to find some ways to move into the right spaces and make things better. People need to be encouraged. People need to be encouraged. Yesterday, last night, the Seattle mayor announced that she's finally going to stop the lawlessness in Seattle. President Trump said earlier today they stopped the people tearing down the Andrew Jackson st- statue. We're not going to tolerate that. We're coming back asserting ourselves, but you've got to be encouraged. Got to be encouraged. People have to be up, feel up, feel better, uh, get encouraged. So that's my uh, tip of the day. Thank you for uh, tuning in. We're going to have some great interviews here. Don't forget proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com. Check in there and uh, see everything that's going on. And we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on Pro America Report. Be back in a moment.
0: This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego. <laughs>
1: Welcome back, Ed Martin here in a Pro America report. We got a special appearance this week of John Schlafly. John Schlafly, of course, has the weekly column. It'll post later tonight. Uh, I guess post right, probably posted right before the show aired on uh, Townhall dot com. And I'll preview it. We'll talk about it later in the week, maybe tomorrow, on statues and on what they're doing with tearing down statues. But I really wanted to get John on because, as I mentioned in the opening segment today, um, tonight that. Uh, the, the e uh, the executive order that President Trump signed on the topic of visas immigration visas you know everybody knows what build the wall means everybody knows what you know why are we giving amnesty to illegals there's a conversation some people want to give amnesty most n- normal Americans seems to me want to stop the amnesty but one of the real abused immigration moves has been the use of visas visa uh, immigration visas to fill jobs to to the detriment of Americans. And John Schlafly's written about this. His late mother wrote about it many times. So I wanted to talk about this. So welcome, John Schlafly. First of all, you saw this executive order signed. This has got to be why you wanted, part of big reason why you wanted this, this president, uh, Donald Trump, right?
0: Yes, and it is one of the things that he campaigned on going all the way back, I believe, uh, Ed, to his is immigration?s Where he gave a whole speech on immigration. I believe it was in Phoenix, Arizona during the campaign, and uh, this was part of it. Uh, to have a uh, policy that puts Americans first, that we employ Americans first, that we buy American first, and this certainly is part of it. Now, a lot, awful lot of business people have gotten adjusted to the system of a never-ending stream of docile and compliant uh, people from foreign countries to fill both low-skill and high-skill jobs. But, you know, the American economy is very resilient, and we can easily adjust. There are plenty of qualified people who can uh, do all jobs in the economy. You know, there's no job that we have in America that isn't substantially performed by Americans. And so, uh, and that includes both high skill and low skill. And some of them may need a little more on the job training, which is fine. Uh, companies can provide that. Uh, but we've got to put our own people back to work first. Uh, you know, the, get, the, the movement to get back to work is picking up steam now, but it needs to be supported each month. With new opportunities for Americans to get back to work, and uh,
1: John, John, I can I can I can almost hear your mother, the late Phyllis Schlafly, her voice in my ears as I ask you this question. A lot of you'll get these CEOs of companies. They'll go on CNBC and they'll complain now about this and they'll say there's these jobs that I, we can't get Americans to do. That's just a lie, right?
0: Well, it is a lie, and uh, the last time I checked, admittedly uh, a couple of years ago, but. Uh, uh, Our higher educational system graduates uh, several hundred thousand engineers every year, but only about half of people who graduate from college with an engineering degree actually uh, find work as an engineer. They go into other fields. Well, that's a whole pool pool of people who are uh, educated enough for the same type of entry-level jobs that the uh, H-1B visas uh, are given to people from China and India. And uh, uh, so there really is no need to import uh, people from China and India to take jobs in the high-tech industry. We've got Americans who graduate from our own colleges who are qualified, perhaps with some on-the-job training, uh, to do those jobs. And our very, very wealthy uh, high-tech industry, whose stocks have been exploding even in recent weeks, can well afford to provide the -the on-the-job training, if it's needed, to employ Americans in these jobs.
1: We're talking with John. We're talking with John Schlafly, and John's writings in his column, the Schlafly Report, which he writes each week, is available townhall dot com. But the archive is over at philischlafly dot com. All of his writings, John. This uh, executive order, I was reading it, uh, and, and it, it often it gets into be a sort of word salad or, or, or letter salad. You know, H one B visas, H two B visas. When you're talking about guest worker programs and these immigration visas, it, you know, clarify for our listeners: is this the strawberry workers in california is this the um the tech workers uh, at facebook is it uh, some uh, combination in between Who, where's the abuse happening is it all the above well and wh- this executive order pauses all new immigration visas it doesn't revoke the ones that exist so it's just saying stop for now but what are we talking about what kinds of visas what's in these visas
0: well as you say there's an alphabet soup almost of uh different categories which are have a combination of letters and numbers and each one of these things has a constituency that's the way washington works and they have a lobbyist to maintain and expand their system and and uh the ones that for farm workers you know proverbial proverbial strawberry pickers i don't think the president has uh uh, disturbed that category. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think so. Uh, but what he has done is the so-called high-tech category, which is H1B, and also L1 is another high-tech, and I think O1 is another. Now, mind you, these are not really that high-tech. Uh, the qualification basically is uh, a four-year college degree from any college in the world. And some of these people are really, to be honest, are not that bright. They're no, they're, no, they're, they're not exceptional people, uh, but they do compete with our own college graduates, and there's no need for that. We have our own college graduates who typically graduate with tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt, and they need to have access to uh, a job which can enable them to repay their student debt.
1: We're talking with John Schlafly. John, is the um, is the uh, the opposition to this move? Let's be clear the Democrats are on board with broadly open immigration but a lot of the Republicans right I mean the resistance to President Trump's policy has been you know has included lots and lots of Republicans I and mean, that's one of the real if you talk about one characteristic of his policies he's in some ways he's appointed judges very similar to most Republicans on on foreign policy in general he's obviously got some departure but he's still in line with the guys like Rand Paul and others uh, sort of a wing of the party but on this question he is unorthodox orthodox even as to the republican party right
0: yes he is and as you and as everybody knows the democrats seek uh immigrants because they see votes in the immigrants and the truth is that all immigrant brooks tend to vote democrat and that's true of high skill just as much as low skill it's true of people from india china latin america wherever and uh that needs to be a concern For Republicans who are shooting themselves in the foot by a steady stream of people coming into this country if they eventually become, now of course uh, work visa people are not supposed to vote, they're not citizens, but eventually if they have children, if they eventually get uh, green cards and so forth, eventually become citizens uh, the statistics are simply unstoppable that Immigration from all parts of the world increases the power and strength uh, and constituency of the Democratic Party. That—that's you know, if if any of your—I uh, you mean, your listeners have to face that reality. Uh, yeah. It's not a—it's not a race thing. It's not an ethnic thing. It's simply the numbers don't lie. It's the truth of it, and that's yeah. something to bear in mind.
1: Well, and again, it's a policy preference, and as I, I tell people, um, it, it, you have to know it. You have to know what you're talking about. It also is, you know, there is a an argument to be made about how, for lots of reasons, including the scale and scope of immigration, we have not been assimilating into an America the same way, meaning speaking English, understanding the Constitution the same way as it was in the past, although in the past, 120 years ago, when there was a big influx, we'd actually end at that point did a pause on immigration too so you know this is cl- this is not outside of the mainstream of our uh of our decision making sort of the preferences so unfortunately john i gotta go john schlafly the schlafly report is every tuesday evening it posts over at townhall.com you can find it there but also all of his writings which is now every week for many many weeks now and uh it's uh archived at phyllis so check it out there thank you john for the time All right, we'll take we'll take a break and be back. Ted Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro America Report on the Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report, and my old friend Jay Ashcroft. Long before he was uh, a big shot in the Secretary of State in Missouri, he's a friend of mine, and he is—he uh, has the distinction of before he became uh, an attorney, which is always a dubious achievement. He was an engineer, so he's redeemed himself in the eyes of uh, my father-in-law and many Americans because he went to Rolla and uh, and got his uh, engineering management degree, and he is now the Secretary of State. I was most impressed, Jay. I hadn't been tracking it closely that you finished uh, one of these. T- Tours of the whole every county in the state visiting the clerks uh, in each of the jurisdictions, the election uh, jurisdictions. That must have been a heck of a trip to do in this uh, period, of, you know, in this period of all the the coronavirus stuff. I, I, you know, I'm i impressed. They went pretty well, huh?
2: It was it was hectic, but it was great. We did over 5000 miles. I was driving my car visited 116 election authorities, distributed over 500 gallons of hand sanitizer and had the opportunity really to drill down to make sure we're ready to have good, safe, in-person elections in the state of Missouri.
1: Thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, doing that. And I know like I, when I was at the election board in St. Louis, which I think was one of your last stops, the um it certainly was uh, encouraging when we had we had a little bit tougher time with uh, one of the predecessors to you. I won't bother going back in time. But hey, I, had you, I wanted to have you on because the, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, our organization, we've been watching and, and nervous and unhappy about this uh, uh, Senate bill, Missouri Senate Bill 631. All across the country, there seems to be an appetite for uh, legislators to try to solve a problem. I'm not sure what the problem they think they're solving, and I worry The solution is worse than the problem. But one of the factors is that you end up with changing our elections to allow mail-in ballots and and changes. Walk us through what's happening in Missouri, what the Senate Bill 631 is, and and what the concerns that exist are, the real concerns, and and kind of where we are, please.
2: The the main part of uh, Senate Bill 631 was that it would expand absentee balloting. Uh, for people that might have an underlying issue that uh, could exasperate or make them uh, more uh, frail for attack by COVID-19. But that would be everything really from uh, high blood pressure or diabetes to um, having asthma. And then the secondary portion Mm -hmm. of it is to allow every individual in the state of Missouri that's a registered voter to request a ballot by mail and just mail that ballot in for the election. And Every election expert will tell you the most secure way to hold an election is to have an individual go to their assigned polling place on election day, vote in person. Not only is it the most secure way to do it, it's the way in which people can know that with the most certainty that their vote will count. They get to take that paper ballot, they slide it through the scanner, they hear the scanner beep when it tabulates the vote, and actually, Um, If the scanner notices an error with the ballot, maybe they voted for too many people for one position or they left it uh, an entire position blank, the voter gets a second chance and say, hey, um, there seems to be a potential error with your ballot. Would you like to check that or vote it anyway? You can't do that with mail-in ballots. The best way to do it is in person. Anything else we do uh, is less secure, isn't as good uh, for the voter. And frankly, it's safe and easy to vote in the state of Missouri. We've made sure with the PPE-type equipment that I was sending to every one of the election authorities across the state, it will be safer to go vote than it is to go to the grocery stores.
1: You know, we're talking with Jay Ashcroft. And, and for those that are tracking it, I, I want to give the official uh, address. His uh, Twitter handle is uh, on tw- official is at Missouri S.O.S., the secretary of state at Missouri S.O.S. and SOS.mo.gov. You can find out more. There's all the all the all the um, details and, and help you can want there. Uh, but Secretary Ashcroft, on this point, I've, I'm with you on this. But anybody that needs an absentee ballot, the, the standard is already pretty. I mean, it's pretty flexible. If you say if you go and say, hey, I, I'm not really up to going on Election Day because I've got a health concern. Isn't that already pretty? It's pretty uh, accessible to most people, isn't it?
2: I would say we, we already had election authorities before this bill was introduced that were sending out absentee ballots. Uh, re, uh, uh, request to people just mass. If you're over the age of 65, we'll send you an absentee ballot request. Um, and I just, you know, beyond the fact of the security of it, it's also a lot more work for the election authority on the back side. Um, Any uh, mail-in ballot has to be opened by a two-person team. Uh, We have both a Republican and a Democrat participate in that. Then you worry about when do you allow those ballots, when are they valid, or do they have to come in on Election Day, do they have to come in later, but be postmarked. Then you have challenges potentially of, well, you should have counted that, but you didn't. Is that signature match, was that notary correct? It just opens up a whole other level of concerns that can prolong an election and put it in doubt. Right now in Missouri, when people go to vote, or at least the vast majority of them go to vote in person, 10, 11 o'clock at night, even with sometimes late results from a certain jurisdiction on the east part of the state, you know who won the election by 10 or 11 o'clock at night
1: right we're, right we're, and again we're talking with uh uh secretary uh, missouri secretary of state jay ashcroft about this um this uh senate bill which I, I guess the governor hasn't signed it yet so that's good it's senate bill 631 um it, you know what was the, what is the problem i i mean i i don't know is it just sort of the hysteria around this period of time that they're saying oh my gosh oh my gosh you know the i've watched CNN long enough i better do something because it seems like <laughs> normal people would see the threat of mail-in ballot i mean imagine if you send out to people and you let people mail in a ballot i mean again if you've done any election work and i was in the same in st louis i it's just it's inviting fraud now let me just ask you a question that you maybe you don't want to answer but why the republicans in the in the missouri house and senate pass this
2: you know i i i think everybody's heart was in the right place um i think there was concern because we've heard so much doom and gloom about COVID-19, and, and look, people have died, and people are continuing to die. That's that's not something to, to make light of. Um, but, you know, also, we have to remember that just less than four years ago, we had a state rep race in St. Saint, in Saint Louis that was overturned by a judge because there were so many irregularities with absentee ballots. The winner um, uh. was rep, was a representative. The judge said, no, we have to redo it. And the purported loser in the first election ended up winning the second election when there were no irregularities with about 75% of the vote. Um, I think people have the, the right intentions, and I think you also have certain groups, ACLU and others, that have been pushing for things like this, and they say, oh, a worldwide pandemic. Let's focus on what our political partisan practices are that we want instead of solving the problem of the pandemic and getting this country moving forward again
1: it is um i guess um, yeah I, I i i what surprises me is um you know i i think you i think you've been pushing for a long time most much of your career for uh a photo id and and, and you know so now we're going to have a fix to one problem and no still no photo id right i mean the missouri supreme court went way out of their uh out of where their their responsibility should have been to strike it down but you know i, I think you told me you, you tried to get that in a compromise in this when it didn't work and so we're not even getting that protection yet and we're doing this this thing at makes it less uh, secure. I, it's kind of it's kind of it's it's pretty frustrating for the the people that understand how these things work, I have to say.
2: Well, what I when I entered into this originally, I said if there's going to be any compromise that I agree to, we have to fix what the Supreme Court did with photo ID. 63% of the voters of the state in 2016 amended the constitution to say that um, the state may require a photo ID for people that want to vote. And in January of this year, the Supreme Court said it's unconstitutional under the Missouri Constitution to require a government-issued photo ID to vote. That's the sort of thing we should fix. If we were going to do anything else with elections, the root, the foundation of what we were doing should have at least included fixing photo ID for the people of the state.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, um, you know, the one thing, uh, the other other thing you've told me before, um, we've talked to again, we're talking with uh, Jay Ashcroft, the Missouri Secretary of State is, you know, we ask our election officials to do something that's like a high wire act, but they they only get to practice like, you know, three times a year, you know, they don't get to do it. And now we're going to change the rules in time for one of the biggest elections uh, seasons we've had. Uh, uh, You know, I, I, I just I sure hope that the governor thinks that, hey, we can get something next year that will maybe be more secure, but this doesn't doesn't make sense. I, I don't know. Is there? Is, do you have any uh, sense of the timeline of what the governor's decision will be, when, it, when he'll make a decision?
2: No, I, d- I don't really know what he'll do. Uh, I assume it would be, if he wants it to affect the August election, it needs to be quick. You know, beyond the security concerns and other things, the, the bill is confusing. Um, you're allowed yeah. to send in an absentee b- ballot to a different manner than you can with uh, a mail-in ballot. You're allowed to request the absentee ballot uh, in multiple ways, but the mail-in ballot can only be asked for in this way. We don't want to make changes in the election right before an election, and we sure don't want to do things that are going to confuse the registered voters of the state because we want to make sure that we have an election, sure, that's healthy and safe for people to participate in, that's secure, and make sure that every registered voter has the opportunity to vote
1: yep well good stuff i appreciate you being there i know it's not an easy job sometimes you're fighting against your own party uh jay ashcroft missouri's uh secretary of state thanks very much jay and uh stay safe i'm glad you're safely off the road and uh from that great trip around all the counties in missouri and we'll talk again soon thanks jay thanks bye all right we'll take a quick break and be right back it's ed martin here in the pro america report we'll be right back
0: this is the pro america report on the answer san diego this is the phyllis schlafly report presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin.
1: Over the last few decades, Democrats have made weaponizing the Supreme Court a top priority. Senators should be confirming prospective judges who study the Constitution and make rulings based on a simple interpretation of the text. These judges are usually called constitutionalists or originalists. Instead, liberal senators shoot down these candidates and throw their weight behind lawyers who promise to legislate from the bench in favor of the leftist ideology of the day. Phyllis Schlafly called these judges supremacists because they act like the judicial branch is supreme rather than a co-equal branch with the legislative and executive branches. It's more important than ever before to have constitutionalists on our Supreme Court. Judicial supremacists have been trying to slow down the Trump administration from day one. Several times now, they blocked President Trump from exercising his constitutional authority for the betterment of the American people. Don't forget, these judges have lifetime appointments so they can wreak havoc on conservative efforts for decades at a time. The silver lining in all this is that originalist appointees can do as much good work as supremacists can do bad work. President Trump diligently makes good judicial appointments a high priority. Thanks to his efforts, we're seeing an emboldened conservative wing Of the High Court. One great example comes in the opinion of Clarence Thomas on the case of Ramos v. Louisiana. Thomas wrote that the Supreme Court has made incorrect decisions in the past. He specifically referenced Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion nationwide, Obergefell v. Hodges, which legalized homosexual marriage nationwide, and Dred Scott v. Sanford, which held that black people shouldn't get the protections and rights of citizenship. All three of these cases are examples of the Supreme Court at its worst. Unfortunately, while liberals see the malfeasance of the Dred Scott case, they cling to Roe and Obergefell for their own political gain. Having Clarence Thomas call out these terrible decisions puts the liberals on notice. Their days of judicial supremacy are numbered, as long as conservatives keep up the good fight to pick good judges. And that's a fight worth fighting.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Can activist judges be stopped, or will they continue to overturn laws with no regard for the Constitution or the will of the people? Connect with us at phyllisschlafly.com to hear alerts on rulings made by never-elected supremacist judges and to share your viewpoint. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome, Ed Martin here to Pro America Report. great to be with you, com. get in there and sign up for uh, the uh, Daily Wink, you're going to want the Daily Wink every day, uh, get in there, alright, let me, I got a couple emails from some of you, I read one of them yesterday, at least part of it, uh, I wanted to come back around to it, the, um, because I got a follow-up. Uh, this is from my friend, uh, Sharon, up in Maine. And she was talking about how she had a uh, don't buy Chinese goods, um, you know, um, uh, her own personal boycott for a long time. And, and she even, uh, you know, said she, she didn't care that no one else uh, kept up. She kept doing it. And I got to tell you, one thing that we can do, and I have heard this uh, from the administration folks, is continue to put the pressure on our policymakers on China. On the communist China, what they make there, you know, I, I think I told you there's a great Missouri based company. I won't tell you the name that a friend of mine is uh, involved in heavily works there, and they make a lot of electronics in, uh, in the world. They make about, I don't know, there's about 17,000 employees total, and they, and, and uh, almost more than half of those employees are or were in China, and they're pulling them all out. And he told me, we know it's going to cost us more. We're going to build in America. We're also going to have some uh, in Europe, but we we know we have to do it. And it's because of what they've seen with China. And he said, even though his, you wouldn't, if you bought a, uh, if you bought something that had his product in it, you wouldn't know. I'll tell you that it's electronic. And so you wouldn't know you'd see the other people buy his products and use them inside their uh, items. So you wouldn't know necessarily, but he said he can't, you know, anymore, be making stuff in China because people that want to buy his stuff say, where are you making it? in China? They don't want it. So we can put the pressure up. And I'll tell you one more aspect of this. Remember, I explained to you how important consumer confidence is for the economy. I always tell you that the four indices to watch are unemployment rate, And that's been going down, although it's still really high. The Wall Street, that's been going up solidly. That's good. But then the other two are consumer confidence and small business confidence. Well, within consumer confidence, where Americans prefer to buy... Is a big, big deal. And and as that catches on, like our Sharon said, she did it herself, but more and more people say, hey, I don't want to buy uh, Chinese made stuff. I don't want I'm willing. And it's a hard one. This is a hard one to say out loud because consumers vote with their wallets. But, you know, you, you're willing to pay more for something made in America. It's a big shift. It's a big shift. All right. Here's another email I got. This one is from John in uh, San Diego. John uh, John is a friend of uh, Woody Woodrum down there. Woody Woodrum's CaliforniaScreamingEagles.org. Check out that website of folks that are fighting to make California golden again and more conservative. John's email is about African-American votes. And he says, is it possible that the president is doing better and better with African-Americans because... Of the lawlessness. I think he's referring to the riots and things. Well, let me just tell you this. Rasmussen has a poll out. And Rasmussen has been more correct than most on polling. But the big thing about Rasmussen I like is they just regularly poll. So you can look at the direction. You know, you, whether you believe the number exactly, you can say, well, the president's approval rating is going up, up, up or down, down, down. You can set, see trend lines in, in politics and campaigns, especially you tend to feel the trend line more than you trust the whole number. Uh, but here's what Rasmussen had. They've been tracking um, African-American approval rating of the president's job. So job approval rating. That's this is not would you vote for him? It's just job approval rating, but it's still a number that is interesting. And so for all time highs now for for African-Americans, likely voters, people that are likely to vote. What's your job? Appro- what's your uh, impression of John, Donald Trump's job approval? Strongly approve is 24 percent of African-Americans strongly approve of the job of Donald Trump is African-Americans, 24%. Now, I won't tell you where or who, but and it's not the Trump campaign, but somebody else that's doing polling told me that they had polling from Pennsylvania. And African-Americans in Pennsylvania, likely voters, again, uh, approval rating, I don't think it was strongly approved, approval rating in general was something like 22%. If Donald Trump is getting at, at the polls, there's a long way off. But if Donald Trump ends up getting to the polls and gets 15, 18, 20 percent of African-American voters, uh, he wins in a landslide. And, and of course, that's the reason is the, the sort of demographics or the, the, the way the, the electorate breaks out. But think about why. Not all um African Americans are the same, right? This is one of the great racist tendencies of so much of the civil rights language. They they they, they pretend to, to to speak for the whole movement, though every African American is supposed to be spoken for by Al Sharpton and Black Lives Matter. But there's a lot of people, uh, by the way, of every race that fit in different parts of the thing. And they do you really think that the African American community wants Violence and rioting and looting, that's not a big number that want that. So I think the president's, uh, you know, his positioning and before, of course, the great pause and the, the Wuhan virus, I would have said the president was going to do so well with African-Americans because the jobs numbers were so good across the board. They were good for Hispanics, African-Americans, whites, women, all these things, whatever, breaking out, wherever the, the, the economic boat, the Trump boat had lifted, had been the, the, the Trump uh, uh, surge had lifted all boats they get to see if I get that right and it made a huge difference but look Rasmussen is talking just about likely voters approval rating of the, of the, of the president's approval uh, appro- feelings of approval uh, the president 24% strongly approve African Americans that's a big deal it's a big number We'll have to watch that. And you're not hearing that from the mainstream media. You're just hearing the, the uh, super-weighted, in-the-wrong-direction polls of, of more Democrats and Republicans. So that's a response, John. Thank you. For anybody who wants to email, Ed at EdMartinLive.com, Ed at EdMartinLive.com, or text me directly, 314-256-1776. Don't forget, go to uh, com sign up for the daily email, and also, of course, track all of our stuff at TheAnswerSanDiego.com. All right, got to run. Uh, thank you, as always, to our great technical director, Noah, keeps us on track, Joanna for helping book our great guests, and you for listening. Back tomorrow, it's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.